Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreau. And I'm Nyla Schwab. Coming up on the Gifted Life today. They keep going and going and going. These two lifesavers are still having nonstop adventures. We'll be talking to them about what they've been up to lately. And I'm going to be talking on our mental health segment about change. You can kind of consider whether you're resting or if you're kind of stuck. Oh, I think I'm stuck, Nyla. (laughs) I'm resting. No, let's get going. All right, here we go. The Gifted Life. Hang on. Here on the Gifted Life podcast, we are thrilled because... They're back. The Scotch family, Mark and Lynn. Hi, guys. Hi. We always offer you guys an open invitation, and and then we always say, if there's an update in your story, please let us know. And I feel like we should talk every day because you guys are on the go all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So just to remind you, uh, we had the the Scotch family on uh, back in 2021. And then how do you even tell your story, Mark? Like, how how do you... uh, how do you slim that down like to a sliver? But they're on episodes 160 and 169 of The Gifted Life. But just an amazing human. He knew someone who needed a kidney, and he found a way to make that happen. So walk us through um, when we met and what was happening at that time, Mark. Sure, Lori. Well, in a Reader's Digest version, my wife and I, Lynn, were going to Texas. We stopped into a microbrewery in Natchitoches, Louisiana, and... I met a guy at the bar having a beer named Hugh Smith. I love that found part. Found out <laughs> that night that <laughs> I was going to mention that. Um, found out that Hugh was on uh, peritoneal dialysis ten hours every night, stage five renal failure, looking for a kidney. And I just said, "Heck, I'll give you one of mine." And found out that that was a lot easier said than done. But we got it done through the National Kidney Registry voucher program. I did everything in Madison. My kidney went to somebody in New York, and because I named Hugh as a voucher recipient, he got priority on the NCARA wait list in Jackson, Mississippi. And a few months after I donated, Hugh got a kidney. Hugh received and has gone on to have amazing health. He's back to work. He has a love. Um, he had told us that his dialysis machine, I think that was Joey's yep. favorite part. That, <laughs> that, that was, was his wife. <laughs> <laughs> so he'd tell everybody, I have to leave an A to And uh, then he said he had a breakup after that uh, <laughs> yeah. amazing um, kidney <laughs> transplant. And so um, he's able to do these amazing real things and spreading donation awareness. And then after that happened, um, I mean, you, you just decided to hop on a bike, Mark? Well, as I was learning how to become a donor, <laughs> I originally was going to uh, thought I had to go to Shreveport. That's where he was registered, and I was talking to his coordinator. And I do a lot of bike riding anyway, and we've done kind of long-distance rides where I might ride for a day or two, and Lynn might follow around doing her thing, and then we meet up for lunch and maybe meet up for dinner and spend the night. So I was going to put together a series of rides going from Wisconsin to Louisiana because they told me I'd be making many trips to go there. So I started planning the trip down the Mississippi River on my bicycle. So I was doing that. But then I read that 13 people die every day waiting for a kidney transplant. And it just floored me. It's like, how come I didn't know this? And I called in over to the computer and 
she said, I didn't know this either. And it's like, wow, let's turn this bike ride into an awareness ride. And that's where the ride came from. And shortly after that, I learned about the voucher program. So I found out I did not have to go to Shreveport to donate, but we wanted to keep the ride going. So that's where the ride came from. Which was amazing that had impacts uh, well beyond, I don't know if you you imagined it would have uh, the ripple effects that it had, but you were even um, awarded Best of Humankind Award back in 2021. You made national news. Um, You made news basically in every town that you passed through, which is kind of amazing. And then you helped us here learn about what the voucher program is all about and got these conversations started, which is amazing. So then, you know... He arrives in Natchitoches, and my favorite picture that we have in our archive is Hugh with his arms spread out, big old smile, and Mark riding in, huge smile, and they hug. And I just love that moment in time. And you think, oh, well, this was so nice, right? And then Mark's like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not done yet. And Lynn, who has been on this trail as well. Like you guys are a power duo. Let's just say that. Um, so, so Lynn, not only supporting her husband, she, she takes it a step further and, and gives this great gift. So, so Lynn, take us where we are now. Uh, last time we talked, you said, oh, we're, we're thinking about donating and doing these great things. And uh, I mean, you guys follow through when you say something like your word yeah. is gold. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I accompanied Mark on his full-day evaluation um, to be a living kidney donor in July of 2020, and I made my decision that day that I would also pursue that um, because hearing everything that he was being told and observing, I just couldn't come up with any good reason why, if I was healthy enough, I would not do that as well. So I initiated the process in August of 2020. Uh, Mark had his surgery September 30th of 2020. I went for my full-day evaluation in October of 2020. I went live on the registry the second week in November of 2020. And um, within the same week of me going live, the transplant center where we were working with um, University of Wisconsin in Madison suspended their living donor program uh, until February of 2021 due to COVID. So Christmas and everything had pretty much been canceled for that year. So Mark and I uh, took off and uh, for parts warmer than Wisconsin through the winter. And um, I got a call from my living donor coordinator mid-January of 2021. And she had a surgery date for me uh, with a chain of three uh, donors and three recipients for February 24th of 2021. Well, three days before that, I had tested positive for COVID. So then you have to wait 60 days before you can donate, uh, 60 days following a negative test, which I had three days later. So then that surgery got rescheduled for March 24th of 2021. And we were already down in Madison in the hotel, um, ready for the surgery. And a day and a half before my surgery, they realized that my platelet count had cratered, um, which is a documented effect for some people um, of having had COVID. So they canceled the surgery. I disappointed that poor recipient twice um, because it was the same uh, recipient as 
as would have received uh, my kidney in February. So uh, the transplant center was fantastic. They sent me to hematology uh, for a couple of consults. They uh, set up monthly blood draws, uh, which continued for about the next one and a half years. Uh, in December of 2021, uh, they had me go through a bone marrow biopsy and aspiration just to rule out that there were uh, no no serious things that we needed to be aware of and uh, conversely um, that there was nothing that would prevent me from donating at the point that my platelets would come back up. So that was just kind of the status quo and I thought maybe that window for the opportunity for me to donate had perhaps closed and that just wasn't supposed to be part of my life story. Uh, but then uh, for no apparent reason in the summer of 2022, my platelet count did come back up. Um, the transplant center was still hanging in there with me. So I had an abbreviated re-evaluation day in October of 2022, almost exactly a year, um, two years after my initial evaluation. They wanted a few more things done just to make sure um, that everything was still looking good because transplant centers tend to be very protective of their potential donors. So um, I had a couple of fun things like a colonoscopy and an electrocardiogram. Um, those were all completed with no problems. And Goodness. then I went back on the registry and I knew that I wanted to use the voucher program because it doubles the gift that you're making. Your kidney goes to the best available match the day that you donate on the National Kidney Registry, and my kidney happened to go to Illinois, um, but by providing somebody who is on the transplant list a voucher, they go to the top of the National Kidney Registry priority list for a living donor. And we had we have worked with so many people uh, in the course of this journey now, and so. There were individuals here in Wisconsin that uh, we knew were waiting for a, a donor to come forward, and I had uh, some of those as prospective voucher recipients when I donated. I just kind of miraculously, uh, they their boxes all got checked in the run-up to Christmas. Um, some are close. Some are still having donors going through the evaluation process, but they seem to be pretty well locked in. So then I looked a little further afield, and identified a, a two-year-old in Minnesota, so right next door to us, who uh, we have some mutual friends. And uh, little Cooper was born in November of 2020, just about the time that I first went on the registry and was born with chronic kidney disease or CKD. He's been on dialysis since he's been eight months old. He does peritoneal dialysis at home in a little bucket seat. Um, where he sleeps every night while he goes undergoes dialysis. And I'm, I'm not sure if it's the CKD or the dialysis itself, but it's starting to affect his bones. He's had one leg fracture already, uh, about 10 surgeries, and they were pretty desperately looking for a, a donor for him. So Cooper received my voucher. Uh, lots of tears on the phone with his mom that day, and oh, I'm, I have the chills, Lynn. Yeah, you can't wait. You can't. You can't just say, 
like gloss over that. Like <laughs> she received the call, lots of tears on the phone. I mean, oh, I'm, I'm a parent of a two year old and I can't imagine getting that phone call. Well, and then on, uh, so markscotch.com, we're going to keep saying that throughout the, yeah. the interview today so you can follow up. But there's a, a picture of Cooper and mom calls you an angel on earth. Mm. Mm-hmm. So tell us, tell us a little bit about, you know, about that conversation. I, I really want to hear, you know, so, so when you told her that you wanted to donate, like what, what was that conversation like? Well, it was interesting. We, um, Mark had actually had a phone conversation with Cooper's mom, and I had a um, couple of phone conversations with her uh, prior to things really getting finalized. But uh, there's just so many circles that seem to be coming to completion in this whole aspect of the story. Uh, the individual who, through whom we linked up, um, is somebody that Mark and I know from his winter ultra endurance events and uh, lives in Minnesota as well and actually rode with Mark the first four days of the Madison to Louisiana trip. So he worked with uh, Cooper's mother um, back before he was retired. I'm sorry, grandmother, back before he was retired and had seen the post that Cooper's mom created and put out on Facebook. Um, it's cute. The The Facebook page is called I'm Awesome. It's my kidneys that suck. <laughs> <laughs> Our friend had shared it um, months back, and I, I'm fairly confident that Mark and I probably both shared it on Facebook as well, just because we tend to do that when that, those things come to our attention. But, um, you know, I had no prospect that I was going to be donating at that time, and it just really slipped away from our awareness and uh, just providentially um, there was another post that came up and our friend again shared it and then it came back to the forefront of my consciousness and I was like that's I need to look into that you know is he ready for to go live on the registry what's his situation Um, does he have uh, a donor in the works like some of those other people that we had just uh, learned had approved donors. Uh, and those were the initial phone conversations with Katie, his mother, and uh, learned that his uh, Cooper's dad was undergoing evaluation, but he had some markers that were not uh, positive. And because Cooper's only two, um, they uh, the family planned on having the dad continue through the evaluation process. Um, if he was ever ruled an approved donor, they intended to have him donate and name Cooper as a voucher holder again, because even under the new Kidney for Life program, a two-year-old is probably going to need another kidney um, at some point. So um, everything just kind of, the path just kind of cleared. It felt really right. Um, Mark and I lost our first child at 15 and a half months uh, when he unexpectedly fell ill. So he Cooper was really just a, a little bit older than our little guy when we lost him. And uh, another circle complete, because for me, a lot of this has always been a large factor for me in choosing to donate was our great regret that in January of 1976, when we lost our son, uh, we never had the opportunity to donate his organs. And 
you know, learning what we've what we know now, it probably wasn't really a viable option back then. Um, so it's not like we were denied an opportunity that existed, but it's always been a huge regret for me um, for all these years. So there again, closing the circle, um, removing that uh, a large part of that regret that I've carried around with me for basically my whole adult adult life. Oh, Lynn, thank you for sharing your story with us. And I tell you, listening to you and Mark share, your story is making me reevaluate my own fears. So, you know, I'm here on the podcast and and it makes me a nervous wreck, but I'm listening to your story and all the, I mean, all the setbacks and all the the challenges I'll do the podcast every day because <laughs> well most people would have given up like I that know. first one so, like oh COVID oh all right well that's off the table right. I tried so what what made you take that first step I mean like that you kept going and going and trying and, and fighting trying. for yes. it really yeah like did you have well, fears I think- or did you did you were you hesitant? Y'all just seemed like y'all would see an opportunity to be kind and helpful and you just did it. Well, part of the very beginning of Mark's story when we were talking to Hugh in the in the brew pub, our sister-in-law had donated to a high school friend of hers back at that time about a dozen years before we met Hugh and had successfully donated and resumed her life. And, you know, we knew that all was good and uh, that it didn't need to be uh, something that changed your life going forward as a donor. So then when I accompanied Mark on his evaluation day, again, I just, I was like, well, if I'm deemed healthy enough to donate, why wouldn't I look into this? So Really no hesitancy, no fears, um, stubbed our toe a couple times because the process just was so slow. And, um, but I knew that I wanted to do that. Um, and then we come to the other end of the, of the journey and I'm like, okay, I'm over two years older than I was. I'm not as fit as I was at the beginning of this process. Does anybody really want a 66 year old kidney? Um, And my living donor coordinator laughed and she said, yes, they do because they don't look at age, they look at kidney function. And she said, Lynn, your kidney function is great. So yes, absolutely. Somebody's gonna want that 66 year old kidney. Oh, and little Coop, how cute. So is it that someone else's story inspired y'all to take that next step? I, Mark, I'm going to let you answer that. Well, I think for me, it was a combination of things. And I just have described it as things that were kind of mulling around in my head. And I didn't even know that they were there. The fact that Jody had donated 12 years previous, I just knew that as a fact. And I knew she was healthy. Um, Lynn just described our, our son dying. And for 40 some years, we had talked about that on and off. And that was always, I guess, in my head, so to speak. And the fact that we always felt some regret that we weren't able to help, you know, allow Jason to help someone else. And as soon as Hugh said he needed a kidney, it was just like, here's my chance. You know, Mm -hmm. here's our chance, our second chance. And I think, I, I, I don't want to speak for Lynn, but I think 
my my decision was purely emotional, definitely. I mean, I didn't even hesitate. Lynn's was more analytical. She thought about it. She saw me go through my evaluation. And so hers was like on the other extreme. She was very analytical about it, data-driven. And I think I think the ride to Louisiana, I think our, our other our previous our next ride to from Martha's Vineyard back to Wisconsin and our ride from San Diego to Lubbock we just did last year. I think what we try and do on these rides, we try to do a lot of things, but one of the things we do is we try to meet people on the on the route that need a kidney, that are on dialysis or or maybe even a liver, it doesn't matter, an organ. And we try to get their story out. And Lynn and I have met many, many people. So in a sense, it's always, it's been in front of us solid for almost two years. Well, and as far as any hesitancy, just go back to the original question. I, I, I know a big factor is Mark just dug in and started doing research and um, we obtained the, the book that uh, one of the surgeons at Madison had written called, um, help me out here, Mark, from death, when death becomes when- life. When Death Becomes Life, yeah, by Dr. Joshua uh, which Metherich. Is, which is kind of the story of the evolution of the transplant industry, if you want to call it an industry. Um, and so all of his research, the information we were gaining, we were talking to people who were living donors, um, got connected to um, what used to be um, donor to donor and is now called National Kidney Donation Organization. To Mark's point, it was all very fact-driven. It was very first-hand accounts that were being shared with us. So um, really no hesitancy because I had all that information available to me. If Mark hadn't done all that research and shared everything he was learning, I would have been just the regular Joe on the street, not having any information to base any of that on, uh, to base a decision on. So that was a big factor for me. Yeah. So Lynn, of course you find, ultimately find Cooper, find that your destiny uh, of, of whose life you wanted mm-hmm. to save. Uh, so take us through a little bit about that, the, the recovery itself and, and how'd you bounce back? Okay. Um, well, I feel great. Um, it's so remarkable. The body is so incredible. So uh, they, they make four uh, laparoscopic uh, incisions that are quite small, and those you can barely see. And we're I'm I'm three weeks out from my surgery. Um, the larger one, where they actually extract the kidney, um, is coming along nicely as well. I haven't. Um, they only sent me home with Tylenol, um, and I was on uh, pretty heavy Tylenol for about the first eight days or so. Haven't had any since. Um, No discomfort. Uh, Every once in a while, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know something happened there. Um, But other than having a lifting restriction uh, for about another five to eight weeks, um, I don't have any restrictions at all. So um, I feel good. I just try to, you know, not overexert. And um, the recovery has been fantastic. 
Okay, I just have to say, wow. I mean, I don't know how you have a recovery after that, and you go home with just Tylenol, Mm -hmm. and you're doing great. And they have excellent nurses. They should know how to take care of each other by now, right? Uh, Like, you guys could be doctors. (laughs) And so if you're listening and you're like, oh, my gosh. Go ahead. I I chose to spend two nights in the hospital. Mark had spent one, but we have a 90-mile drive back to our home in Plover. And by the time he had... I had gotten him home after his surgery. He was like, oh, I'm really, it was, you know, it's, it's tough getting him in the house and into bed. And so uh, based partly on that experience and just partly because um, I had had some previous abdominal surgeries and knew that there may be some scar tissue and whatever, I had decided ahead of time I'm staying two nights. And it, it turned out it was the best decision for me. But most of the... Um, Almost all the the donors at uh, our transplant center stay one to two nights, and that's all. And that's how much the the process has improved. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody here in Wisconsin uh, had donated a kidney about seven years ago and wrote a book about her experience and then branched into writing some children's books, one of which is called something like My Mom is Having Surgery. Um, and it's a children's version of her experience donating a kidney. And I was looking at it the other day because we were going to take it out to share with our seven-year-old grandson. And I said, Mark, I don't think we want to give this out because at that time, seven years ago, this particular woman spent several days in the hospital. And I'm like, this is not representative of what the situation is anymore. I don't think we want to scare people and think they're going to be four, five, six days in a hospital. Um, it's so funny. That's, you know, that's kind of a tiny thumbnail of how how much things have changed in that relatively short span of time. You mentioned it, Lynn. You know, one of our previous episodes, we had uh, a living kidney donor from uh, early 2000s, so about 15, 16 years ago. And it was that four to six day range. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so in that short period of time, relatively short period of time, as far as medicine's concerned, uh, it went from, you know, basically almost a week to what you guys are seeing as, as, you know, barely longer than outpatient. It's it's remarkable mm-hmm. how how things have changed. Isn't it incredible? And, you know, by the time Cooper will need another kidney as a 20 or 30 some young adult, there may not need to be living donors Just anymore. Imagine. There may be artificial kidneys. They may be growing them from your own cells. Yeah. Um, it's just incredible to think where it's going to continue to go. And we continue to learn from each other. I know that I constantly learn from you guys. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, man, I love the Scotch family, right? He donated a kidney. Hugh's doing great. He hops on a bike. She's with him. They make a worldwide impact. Then she gets back. She donates a kidney. Cooper's doing better and better. Uh-huh. And you think, man, that's a great story. We should make like a Lifetime movie or a Hallmark movie out of it. And do you think that these guys are done? Are they are not. Okay, so back in touch with Mark and Lynn because Mark's like, hey... We're going to be coming back to Louisiana uh, by bike. <laughs> so I love that. I want to hear about uh, 2023, um, 
the bike ride. And I also uh, wanted to touch on the Toastmasters that you guys have started and, and what it means, why you started it, and why it's so important. So, want to cover those uh, two topics, Mark, if we could. Yeah. So, my donation, like I mentioned earlier, my kidney went to New York and Hugh got a kidney from Southern California. I don't even think the first ride was over to Louisiana. <laughs> Seven months after my surgery, you know, I rode to Louisiana, met you, Lori, for the first time. It was fantastic. And I was already thinking, okay, what can I do next? Because this is this was so much fun. And you I, need to I'm rest, Mark. You rest a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I decided to uh, to travel the routes of the kidneys. So that's where the, the New York ride came from. And, you know, got to be open to modifying things. So we ended up actually going opposite. We went from Martha's Vineyard back to Wisconsin because we were out there for, uh, Lynn mentioned NKDO. We had a a little training session on uh, Martha's Vineyard with Ned Brooks. He is the one who started NKDO. He's a living donor himself. He donated in the 60s and he's from that area. So we had a little um, gathering at Martha's Vineyard. And when it was over, I rode my bike with Lynn helping, of course, and we came back to Wisconsin that way. So that was that ride. And then Hughes Kidney came from Southern California. So last spring, I started from San Diego, went up to L.A., came across Phoenix, Albuquerque, and just so happened that Lubbock, Texas, was like almost exactly halfway by by bike to New Orleans. So we stopped at Lubbock. And this spring, in a few weeks, we're going to be leaving Lubbock to finish the kidney route from Lubbock. And we were going to stop at New Orleans, and I talked to Lori, and we decided to stop at Covington, where she's located, and you guys are. And then we got LSU students involved. They're going to help us with some things. And we decided to extend it one more day, so we're going to end up at Baton Rouge. So we've got students from Texas Tech involved, and we have students from LSU involved. And um, there might even be another ride uh, Why? I knew it. I knew there was more. <laughs> curious. <laughs> well, just think. Just think, Lori. Here we are in Wisconsin. Lynn's kidney went to Chicago. And then Cooper's in Minneapolis. Hey, wouldn't that go. be fun to ride? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm going to have to learn how to ride a bike. Here we go. <laughs> that better be in the, win- in the, in the summertime because... Uh, Yep. It's way too cold yep. up there in the yep. winter. Uh, so it's so excited. We love that that we're part of the the route, and we get really excited. Uh, we have this amazing partnership with uh, Manship. Um, they love the concept, and then they keep saying, "So he just he just gets on a bike, and then they just travel together, and they're just doing it to do good. Like that's 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 what they want. Like what's the end result?" And I said, "He wants to save more lives. She wants to save more lives." And but it was like hard because who does that? Well, the Scotch family does that. They teach us again <laughs> and again, which is so cool. And then um, if that wasn't enough, like just spreading the word, like I said, every time they hit a town, it's like they get this media coverage and more and more people learn um, about donation, about living donation, about this voucher program. And so you guys are helping those in need to tell their own stories, to speak for themselves, to try to get um, coverage and social media traffic to, to kind of get the word out. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, it's actually a woman named Lisa Thompson who we met on our second ride. We met her in New York. She's actually part of NKDO as well, but she's rather unique in that she belongs to the organization, but she's the recipient. Most everybody at NKDO are living donors that help other donors. And Lisa is a recipient, and she got wind of my ride, and she 
was like a little whirlwind out there in New York. It got us a number of uh, events with local politicians, local media. And she, again, is one of these people that wants to help other people. And so she's the one who actually got the Postmasters thing started. And I was helping her in the beginning as any way that I can. I still do. We have a something coming up uh, February 5th, but this won't air till afterwards. But uh, people can can find out about Postmasters. It's called KISS, Kidney Stories. We take the K, the S, and S, the K-I-S-S, call it KISS. And we invite people that are looking for a kidney, people that are advocating for a, kid, for a loved one, a friend, anybody that is involved in the community that wants to put together a story, put together uh, a way to communicate their story, their need, their ask, in written form, and then we help them through the Toastmasters by uh, improving their verbal skills as well. So it's a great it's a great thing for people that are want to learn more, people that want to improve their ability to get their story out. Well, we just think you guys are great. Like we're sitting here and our, our jaws are dropping. And we're like, we could do so much more each day. <laughs> so you guys, well, you, you guys do quite a bit. Inspire us. Oh, yeah, you guys yeah. inspire us for sure. And we love that um, you allow us to be part of your story and that you're helping these, these future leaders, uh, these guys that are about to graduate and go into the working world to become donation advocates, to learn your story, to learn from you before they make that next step. So uh, we look forward to visiting you when you get to Louisiana. Uh, we'll be here with arms wide open, waiting for our big hugs, guys. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for taking the time today and uh, continue to be amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Here on The Gifted Life, we're going to take a moment for mental health. Yeah, Lori. And from what I hear, it's stages of change. And I thought it was Ooh. either you change or you don't. So I'm confused. <laughs> that's kind of it. Learn more. That's, that's kind of it. You wrapped it up. Okay, we're done. <laughs> All right. Now, so there's something called stages of change. Um, it's there, or you might know it by trans theoretical model of change um no i wouldn't know it by that <laughs> thank you no, really either. i'm always like dumb it down keep it simple but um so the, there were like five stages of change a lot of research went behind it but then they've added in a six and those are pre-contemplation contemplation determination or preparation action maintenance and then there's relapse and so, gosh, talking to our, you know, our guests today, it makes me think about the stages of change. Because my question, you, you could ask yourself, like, are you stuck or are you just resting? So there is no bad stage of change. Um, it's just it's just where you are. And it can kind of help you figure out, like, as a, as a counselor or someone trying to help someone, it's trying to figure out where somebody is if they're wanting to change. Or do they even want to change? If they don't, well, they're, you know... Mm-hmm. It's really up to that person. Really control, mm-hmm. not control. It's up to that person if they want to change. But you can use motivation. If you have a teenager, I mean, I can't make her, my teenager do certain things. I had other, two other ones that I tried. and <laughs> you know, I mean, I can some things. But, you know, most of all, it's they're their own little people. So they, I'm there to motivate, to encourage, and inspire. And that's kind of what you do to help people figure out their story. So, um, And I was listening to our speakers thinking, gosh, are our guests – like, did they just jump into it? I would say, no, they, you know, the decisions they made were life changing. Mm-hmm. So they had to 
think about it, consider it, make a plan. Mm -hmm. And Um, the plan kept getting set back, set back, set set back. back. So like you could think of that as relapse. Like what do you do when your plan's not going Mm. the way you want it, your change not good? You step back and then, so you're, you're preparing and then you take your action and then hopefully you, you know, you're able to achieve that action and you're on to maintenance. Um, And then how do you maintain that? I mean, these these amazing people just continue to keep inspiring and doing. So I just don't think there are anybody, they probably just live in the action stage. I don't know. They yeah. don't have to maintain. They're just living it. Right. But, um, but yeah, I think that stages of change is a great way to look at where are you in something you want to do different and how do you get to the next step or the next level? Does that make sense? It takes work. It does. It yeah. does. I mean, I have a couple, couple comments first. Please. Um, I understand candy works well oh. in, in uh, coaxing and coercing change because I got my, my two-year-old to pee-pee yeah. on the potty a couple of days ago. Oh, yeah. We have a, by we have promising a candy. Ter- yeah. Terrible dad nah. move. It works. But, uh, but it also works here in the studio because uh, Troy and Kirsten wrangle us up by uh, offering dangling candy. Here's candy. <laughs> That is true. That is true. I I get excited about the Reese's that are on the table for us. Oh, and then, you know, thinking about kids as you were going through, but uh, you don't want them to to do great in school, to be well-behaved, to get these great grades, and then here's the incentives, right? Like, we're going to treat you if you you do your job just like I have to do my job. So it is in stages, and if you break it down and, you know, retrospect and make sure— you're doing and, the right things, yeah. And you know, and and in parenting, if we want to stay with that, you know, that picture, um, that that would be motivation. But hopefully, at some point, then it's your child that wants to do it, right? And understanding right. the reason they're doing it, and they continue to do it, and then and then setting them up for success, or setting ourselves up for success to to make that change really happen. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Lots to think about. about. See, you got us thinking all different directions. I like it. Do you have a topic you'd like us to cover? Email us, info at thegiftedlife.org. In our question and answer segment today, Nyla, coming to you on this one. My sibling passed away many years ago when I was a child. Is there a way to find out if they were a donor? Oh, I love this question. And we actually, we hear this question very often. So we encourage any family curious about donation that they give us a call. Um, unfortunately, I can't say yes or no. We will look into that um, into that that loss, where it happened, when it happened, did it happen, did it occur in Louisiana? We're going to do as much research as we can to help find the information that you're looking for. Um, we do only speak with the next of kin, but the next of kin can give us permission to talk to anyone in the family. Um, so that's all. There's just so many, uh, I guess, so many parts to that question. But our family service department has resources. We have support. And most of all, we love hearing stories about our heroes, and we want to honor our heroes. So please call us. Our family service is open to talking with you if you're in the state of Louisiana or anywhere in the world. We're here to support you. What a great question. If you have a question, give us a call, 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Keith Savoy. Keith was a devoted husband, father, and grandfather. As a career law enforcement officer, Keith dedicated his life to serving others. 
He made his wishes known about organ donation many years ago, and his family honored his wishes. He was able to donate his skin to help burn victims, and his bone donation will help those recovering from bone cancer. We know Keith is smiling in heaven, knowing that his donations are going to help others. And now we pause and say thank you to Keith for the gift of life. That is going to do it for episode 208 of The Gifted Life. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can register as an organ, eye, or tissue donor anytime. Registerme.org. As for us, you can find us at thegiftedlife.org. Special thanks to our guests, Mark and Lynn Scotch. I mean, who has more energy than those two? I mean, it's amazing listening to them, what they've been doing, the fact that the fact that Lynn went through such perseverance, like one challenge after another after another, yeah. and then she persevered Kept and going. still was able to donate to Lil wow. Cooper by a voucher. That's amazing. If you want to hear more about their stories, and especially to hear more about Mr. Hugh Smith, Mark's uh, voucher recipient, you can listen to us on episode 160 and 169. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating. It really helps others find our podcast. On social media, guys, you can like our Facebook page. Please do. It's the Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Thanks for spending some time with us here on the Gifted Life. Our ask is that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. We're a big team. Until next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Nyla Schwab. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs>